This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. If you have your Bibles this morning, you can turn to Acts chapter 14 that was just read by Jana. I'm just taking it in. I I know you all can't quite see it like I'm able to see you right now. So I'm actually able to see all of you assembled. And um, I'll just say this is a healing for me to finally, finally have a sense of the fullness of the people of God as God has created us here at Church of the Resurrection. I would imagine for some of you, coming today was a stretch. It was, it was hard. It felt risky to you. So let me just thank you for, for that. Others aren't yet ready to assemble, and we honor and bless you. But thank you for those who did feel you were able to come, even if it stretched you. We need you here, and for those who are with us on live stream, we need you. So aware of how deeply bonded we are in the Lord. We start with a brief story as we look at this beautiful passage, Acts 14, and as we, and as I charge Dean Steve and our vicars, Brett and Matt, and as I charge you, the people of God. Many, many years ago, Catherine was hired for a great job. It fit her resume, it fit her experience, it fit her gifts, and she was meeting with her employer. And the only thing that was really the challenge in the job is that the person who had preceded Catherine in the job that she was hired for had one of those kind of epic careers prior to her. Uh, This employee was known as being extremely gifted, extremely effective. Within the organization she was being hired in, he was a kind of legend. And I'll never forget when she came home and told me about her first meeting with her boss who looked at her straight in the eyes from his desk because she was sitting right there in front of him. And he said, Catherine, let me be really clear with you about our former employee. I'm thankful for all that he did for our organization. But no one, let me repeat, Catherine, no one is irreplaceable. Now, in that moment, at that time, it was unimaginable. Think about coming into the vacuum that had been created by this highly charismatic, gifted employee. But her boss on that day said something that is deeply true in the scriptures as well as in the reality of organizations. Do you know that no one is irreplaceable? Because there is no one like the Lord. Amen? (laughs) No one is irreplaceable in the work of the kingdom of God. That's good news. That's joyous news because no one is like the Lord. I'm going to say a few things this morning on this historic day for resurrection, but let me be really clear what it is that I really want to say to you. It comes out of verse 23 in Acts chapter 14 that they committed those that they had appointed to the Lord in whom they had believed. We are here this morning because we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We say that no one is irreplaceable because the Lord is unlike any other. So just the resurrection and Upper Midwest Diocese and new friends that are joining us on a live stream, let us believe in the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Praise God. Let us believe in the Lord. We'll look through this text briefly. No one is irreplaceable, verse 19. Verse 20, no one is replaceable. I know those are opposites. <laughs> no one can serve the Lord alone, verses 20 to 21. And no one is like the Lord, verse 23. The Jews, when we read that, and so often um, that phrase is used to talk about Jewish leaders, particularly Jewish leaders in this case, in some cases the Jews who were set against Jesus, in this case it's the Jews who are set against the leadership of Paul and Barnabas and other early Jewish leaders who could come to believe in Jesus as Messiah. Jewish leaders were coming from other cities. Paul had been in Antioch, indeed, in Acts chapter 13. Paul and his dear friend Barnabas had gone out by twos, as Jesus had taught them to do. They were sent out by the church in Antioch to go and to multiply the mission of the gospel, specifically to the Gentiles. And they'd gone from Antioch, they went to Iconium, and to other cities throughout what is now modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And they were teaching and preaching right before this passage. They were teaching and preaching, and they were given such favor that the people in the town where they were teaching and preaching, Lystra, were so impressed by them, they actually thought them gods. One Zeus, one Hermes, and they wanted to worship Paul and Barnabas. It was as if the preaching went too well. <laughs> so much so that indeed they had tripped over into idolatry and began to, because they recognized power, position the understanding of power within their own religious background one that needed to be corrected and converted into Jesus of Nazareth, fully God, fully man. But right before this passage, people are exalting Paul and Barnabas. And then, verse 19 happens. And it happens so quickly. It happens with such suddenness. It's like what happens in our contemporary day in a brutal car accident, where one moment you're driving down the street, and the next moment before you know it, your car is turning, or your car is screeching, or you're hearing metal hit metal. That's what this moment is like. No, you can't love us this much. We're not Hermes, we're not Zeus. And then Jewish leaders come, and having persuaded the crowds, who perhaps didn't love them so much, dragged them out of the city and stone Paul, picked up large rocks, heavy and pointed, and threw them against the softness of human flesh. And they supposed, of course they supposed, that he was dead. Maybe it's over, they would have thought at that point. Maybe the work in Jerusalem will continue. Maybe the missionary endeavor is over. Or maybe with somebody as brilliant, as gifted, a man, a, a once in a hundred year, 2,000 year generation, Paul, dead, it's over. 
and they would have had a face at that point, no one is irreplaceable, and not even Paul. Now, he wouldn't die here. We'll read this in the next verse. But in several more years, he would die in Rome, likely beheaded by a sword. I find it very hard to believe that no one is irreplaceable in the work of the kingdom. This came home to me 10 days ago when one of my very dear spiritual fathers and mentors reached out to Kath and me to share that he, Archbishop Ben Kalashi, has been diagnosed with colon cancer. Right. And I, I, was, I said, Catherine, I'm disoriented. Archbishop Ben, how would I do my life not knowing that he's here on earth? I, I, that was my emotional feeling in the moment. He's mentored me so profoundly. He means so much to me. He means so much to our larger Anglican international global church. We called him. We prayed for him. He laughed a lot. And I had to be reminded again of the biblical truth that no one is irreplaceable. Because there's no one like the Lord. His prognosis is good, by the way. Do pray for him. We ask the Lord to give him many more years. Well, I had to face the fact that no one is irreplaceable 22 years ago. 22 years ago, I was named rector of Church of the Resurrection. Uh, part of the ceremony of installing a rector is to give them the keys uh, to the church. And I was given these, uh, this very key here on this key ring as a symbol of opening the doors of the church to the people of God and to those who do not know the Lord. And I've had these keys in my office and study ever since then. It was at that point, 22 years ago, unimaginable to have a Church of the Resurrection without William and Anne Beasley. Unimaginable. They had formed and shaped us to walk by faith and not by sight. They had taught us to trust in the power of the Scriptures and the Bible. They had led us out of the Episcopal Church of the Diocese of Chicago, fell deeper and deeper into greater and greater apostasy and immorality. They had done one leadership move after another that we just stood by and thanked God that we could follow. Leaders of such character and gifting. And yet I had to face in a very personal way, even then, as they went to plant a church on the North Shore of Chicago in 1998, that no one is irreplaceable. Because the Lord leads the church. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Man... Woman, like a breath, our days are passing like a shadow. Psalm 144, verse 4. And yet as we remember that no one is irreplaceable, we also have to say scripturally that no one is replaceable. Indeed, there has never been one like Paul or Barnabas or Silas. Mary Magdalene, so many others. There's never been anyone like them. Indeed, we also know that in the scriptures, God gives for a season men and women, 
with giftings and callings. We look at Romans chapter 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, giftings, callings, offices, that they may sacrifice their lives for the sake of their generation to build up the church and to reach the lost. No one is replaceable. And we celebrate that fact as well. Thank God Paul rose up, entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derby because they needed to be evangelized. <laughs> Staggering. It's almost as if when he was weakest, he was strongest. So no one is like Dean Steve. Amen? <laughs> Praise the Lord. No one is like Dean Steve. And God has raised him up for this hour, for this season, for this generation. And we celebrate that. It's like marveling at a unique, creative piece of art that no one else could ever paint with the particular giftings and traits of that painter. Indeed, in Dean Steve, what we get is both apostolic leader, and by that I mean one who is tied to the scriptures, one who is tied to the work of the Spirit, one who has a heart and a faith to step in where God is planning and working and moving, but things have not yet become manifest. An apostolic leader is one who, like all of us, but especially leads us to walk by faith and not by sight. An apostolic leader sees what God can do in multiplying and increasing work where many of us are just glad to be in that work and to serve that work. We need both. But the apostolic leader goes, that could happen here. Jesus could do that there. With God, the apostolic leader often says, nothing is impossible. And you have that in Dean Steve. You have that charism. You have that gift. And he'll do it out of the riches of the histories of the church. I mean, honestly, we were all humbled when Steve and Janice said, you know what we should do, actually, with the vigil is, we should just do the vigil all night long. And we realized, wait a second. They, had, they, just, they just do that in their church history. But they stepped into a place and led us into a place that we hadn't been before. I didn't think of that. Wow. In him you'll get apostolic leader, as well as an artist. How fitting it is, Church of the Resurrection. You wonderful, wacky, quirky church. <laughs> Me often I have to think, I'm the most normal person here. <laughs> you, you know that I've had the slogan, keep res weird, right? Dean Steve, keep res weird. <laughs> Amen. But we're in our, we, how fitting that we've got a worship pastor becoming our dean, right? Doesn't it fit who we are in the Lord? It's the Lord's providence and plan. So Steve, I give you this scripture today, Psalm 96, verses 8 to 9. Ascribe unto the Lord the honor to his name. Bring offerings. And come into his courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Let the whole earth stand in awe of him. Lead us in worship. Everything else will sort out. All these things will be added unto us as we worship the Lord.
in spirit and in truth. And Father Matt, we have a replace, an, ir- an irreplaceable, sorry, not Matt, he's replaceable. I'm not gonna tease Matt today. I tease Matt every day. And Father Matt, we have a remarkable and very unique combination of shepherd and evangelist. Now, shepherds build things. That's how they're wired. They build community. They build relationships among the followers of Jesus. They build sermons that come into our heads and our hearts and take up residence there that we can walk in the Spirit. Matt loves to build stuff, but Matt is also an evangelist. He can't help but think of all who do not know the Lord. He thinks constantly of them. He's unsettled by the reality. He's both shepherd and evangelist. And Matt, today I just give you that glorious verse at the end of that amazing pericope of Zacchaeus. Luke 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Father Matt, just continue to lead us in seeking and saving the lost. Continue to teach us that and train us in that and call us to that. Everything else in your ministry will sort out behind that reality. And Father Brett, we have such a remarkable combination as well of both shepherd and prophet. If you've had the privilege of being pastored by Father Brett, and nearly all of you have, which is amazing, you know what it is to have him come into your life and listen. Take in what you're saying. I don't know how he has so much room in his soul to absorb and love so many people, but he does, and Julie the same. By the bread of shepherd, he wants to build the holy church and build ministry, build community. He's also been called as prophet. There is a prophetic fire in Father Brett that the holy church needs as the word of God is applied now. The prophetic ministry brings an urgency to the eternal reality of the word of God. The prophetic ministry senses and knows in the Lord because of the scriptural basis When things may go wrong, when things may go dark, when error may come our way. And in Father Brett, you have the gift of a shepherd who cares deeply for the people of God, and because he also is prophetic, will care deeply to lead the people of God into and in the Word of God. Brett, I give you these scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13, there you are, and verse 14, 1. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Pursue love, especially that you may prophesy. But no one can serve the Lord alone. It wasn't the design from the very beginning. Our Lord Himself sought out his partners in ministry, the disciples. He gave them one to another, the 12, the 72, the 120, and beyond. And we see how it is indeed, in at least part, one of the ways that Paul likely rose up is he went with Barnabas into the next city. 
And God called us not only to raise up our new cathedral dean, but to raise up vicars to serve with him and to serve under him. That indeed, what you see here is what I preached on a few weeks ago. This is a God friendship. Because it is in friendship between men and women and women and women and men and men that so much of the kingdom of God is fruitful in our day. So you could just thank God that these men are friends. Indeed, I would encourage you to pray for their friendships because it will bless our church greatly as they grow closer together. And indeed, we can be thankful for the gift that God has given to our church of the priesthood. We don't talk often of the priesthood. We don't need to. Indeed, much of the work of the priest, while it's public on a Sunday, is mostly hidden and should be. We can thank God not only for these priests and their friendship, but for the amazing friendship among our priests and their wives throughout our diocese. And we'll need more priests. And people of God, we need you. And these three men and their wives need you. They need one another, but they desperately and deeply need you. They need you for friendship. They need you for the ministry of the gospel. They need you to walk with them and to give your lives as a sacrifice to God. They need that from you. You have graciously and generously given your lives as a sacrifice to God with Catherine and me. You have loved us and served us and served alongside us and freely and gratuitously just loved the Lord with us. You've given financially. You've given of your creativity and your skills over and over and over again. And I'd like to ask you to do the same for Dean Steve and for these vicars. And then I'd like to ask for something even more from you. This is maybe more specifically your charge. Is I'd like to give you Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for this would be of no advantage to you. I don't share this because I believe you've been disobedient or unsubmissive. Indeed, Catherine and I have experienced in a deeply humbling way your submission to our leadership. But I'm very aware that perhaps in my 30 years of full-time ministry, never has there been such significant ambivalence in our country around civic authority, not-for-profit authority, and church authority. The isolation and the pain of COVID and the charged nature of this season has only contributed to less trust in leaders. Some cases, that is warranted. Some cases in the church have been warranted where there are those who've shown themselves not trustworthy in the church. 
And yet at that point, they will be held accountable by God and should be held accountable by the people of God. That's proper and appropriate. I'm not saying that there aren't times when you should appropriately ask questions of your leaders. Why are we doing this, Dean Steve? Could you explain to me more? I would ask before you do that that you have prayed, and I mean prayed, and then they start with a question. You'll be tempted because there's so much accusation in the rhetoric of our country right now, but there are appropriate ways to indeed ask questions. I think you do that well. You've done that well with me for years. But based on the scriptures, I would ask that it, these three men who are utterly tested, indeed, the Bible says, wisdom is known by her children. And the children, the spiritual children and the actual children of these men are remarkable in the Lord. You can trust these men and their wives. So I actually call you to follow the scriptures and to obey and submit to them. As you do that, that will free their work to do the work of the kingdom of God. And indeed, you will give them joy and less groaning, Hebrews 13 says. And finally, no one is like the Lord. On one hand, this is a historic day for resurrection. We have three generations of leaders of resurrection represented here with Father William and Anne and Catherine and me and now Steve and Jana. Three generations. Three generations all together still. Steve made the point. We have to fly anybody in for this. We're all still building together, working together, loving one another through challenge and through other abundance together. What a gift. How unusual. How a sign of the favor of God in our midst. So at one level, this is a historic day for our church, and we celebrate this day. On another level, it's just one more day in the church. She's been appointing leaders for her work to spread the gospel and multiply the work of God for 2,000 years and even prior to that. You raised up 70 as Moses did, or you raised up 12 as Jesus did, or you sent up the 72 as Jesus did. Or you look at these men that are called to be deacons, as the church did in Acts chapter 6. Or you see men and women called within the marketplace, within the places of education, within the trades to be released to preach the gospel. All we're doing today is multiplying the work of God in our midst. At one level, historic. At another level, it's just another Bible day in the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So indeed... We've done what the church has done for centuries. We appoint, we prayed, we fasted, we commit Dean Steve, Father Brett and Father Matt, to the Lord in whom we have believed. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.